they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. On this Friday, June the 9th, the Feast of St. Ephraim, deacon and doctor of the church, will begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, the Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncele et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. So we're talking about changing the subject of our meditation. And um, meditation is a form of prayer. And meditation on a basic level, just on um, a natural level, means to muse, to think about. Um, so we think about what what are we thinking about what is meditation we have a very good priest friend of ours and he likes to tease people and he, he does tease people a lot um he has a sense of humor and he said you know i always ask people and you know um how many of you in this room have trouble meditating and he said almost everybody in the room will raise their hand and he said really um when was the last time somebody hurt you or said something that hurt you or did something that hurt you or something happened in traffic that upset you um when was the last time you had, you know, oh my gosh. And, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. And he said, well, that's meditation. That inner dialogue, that musing that goes on inside after we've been hurt, that's meditation. The question is, what is the subject of our meditation? What are we meditating on? And we know that in the scripture, we are told to pray always, right? Um, we're supposed to, St. Paul and St. James exhort us to pray at all times. 
And we can check in James 1, 5 through 8, Ephesians 5, 20, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18. So we're exhorted to pray at all times. And um, what is this prayer? What is prayer? Okay, well, what is prayer then? Well, prayer is, is this, for Tres of Lezu said, she put it this way, St. Tres of Lezu. For me, prayer is a surge of the heart. It is a simple look turned toward heaven. It is a cry of recognition and of love embracing both trial and joy prayer the church goes on to say in the catechism of the catholic church paragraph 25 not paragraph it's number 2559 prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to god or requesting a good thing from god saint john damascene but when we pray do we speak from the height of our pride and will or do we or out of the depths of a humble and contrite heart. So look at Psalm 130, verse 1. Are we speaking from the depths of a humble and contrite heart? A humble, contrite heart, O oh God, you will not spurn. Humility is the foundation of prayer. Only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought, Romans 8, 26, excuse me, that's not, yeah, Romans 8, 26. Remember, Paul says we don't, we don't know how to pray as we ought. So the spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are unutterable in human speech. Are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer? Man is a beggar before God, St. Augustine would write. So if you knew the gift of God in John 4, 10, at the woman at the well, when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, Remember the Samaritan woman that he met at the well in the heat of the day when she's coming out alone to draw water? And, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she says, oh, you're, you're a Jew and a, um, you're speaking to me, I'm a, a Samaritan and a woman. Why would you do that? And he said, if you knew who was speaking to you, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me for water and I would have given you living water. Okay, so Christ comes to meet every human being. It is he who first seeks us and asks us for a drink, just like he does there at the well in Samaria, Jacob's well. Jesus thirsts. He, his asking arises from the depths of God's desire for us. God desires us. Whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. Because you see, God made us for himself. So we also thirst for him. And we may not recognize that, but all of the needs of our body are an expression of the need of our soul and body for God who made us in his image and made us for union with himself. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. See John 4.10. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was, that's Augustine. That was from St. Augustine. Uh, the next, the next uh, footnote is John 4 through 10. <laughs> Sorry about that. I got ahead of myself. That's okay. So where does prayer come from? Whether prayer is expressed in words or gestures, it is the whole man who prays. But in naming the source of prayer, scripture speaks sometimes of the soul or the spirit, but most often the heart. 
more than a thousand times. According to scripture, it is the heart that prays. If our heart is far from God, our words of prayer are in vain. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, it says in the prophet. So the heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to Semitic or biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. The heart is our hidden center beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision deeper than our psychic drive. It is a place of truth where we choose life or death. It is the place of encounter because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of covenant. So we're called to live in a covenant relationship with God. We're called to live in a covenant relationship with God. And we are called by God to be in that covenant relationship with him. And we can only do that through prayer, through deep and honest prayer. And I, I'm, the footnotes there, I, I'm, I um, was mistaken. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water in, in number 2561. That's from John 410. And then we have that um, from Jeremiah. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is when we, we pray with our lips, but our heart isn't in it. That's from Jeremiah 2.13. And then the last one, prayer is a response of faith to the free promise of salvation and also a response of love to the thirst of the only son of God. John 7, 37 through 39, John 19, 28, Isaiah 12, 3, and Isaiah 5, 51, 1, and Zechariah 12, 10, and Zechariah 13, 1. So prayer is the movement of the heart, and it has to be the heart that's involved. Where is our heart? What is our heart filled with? Is our heart filled with bitterness and resentment and anger and hurt? because of the things that people have done to us, because of what's going on around us, because of the evils in the world? Is our heart filled with fear because we feel so overwhelmed by the evil that's in the world, by uh, people around to us who have hurt us or have some kind of control over us? So what are we meditating on? What's going on inside of our heart? What's, what's keeping our heart bondage? And we want that, we want to be free to pray. So we want to ask God, we want to humble ourselves before God, acknowledge that, no, I don't know how to pray as I ought, but God can give us his spirit and teach us how to pray. So we ask the Lord for his spirit and we ask that his spirit would lead us to pray. That as it said in Romans, we don't know how to pray as we ought. So the spirit intercedes for us in groanings that are beyond human speech. So prayer is that movement of our heart toward God. It's a loving conversation with him who loves us. And we're coming up against a break here. So um, don't go away. We'll be back with more. Thank you for joining us. Let your friends and family know that we're here on uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And uh, we'll be back with more. Thank you to our listeners and to our supporters. Um, share this with all your family. Let them know. Join our Bible class on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 9th, 2023, the Feast of St. Ephraim. So we are um, looking at uh, meditation and what is meditation and and what is the subject of our meditation? We want to take a good hard look at what is the subject of our meditation because um, (laughs) it affects the way we behave, the way we think, the way we act. So we have in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we have some things I want to read that explain how the church sees meditation. And I've already talked a little bit in the first segment of this show about meditation and about prayer, what it is, this loving conversation with someone who loves us, um, meditation, that that musing over something, that um, considering what's going on. So meditation, 2705 in the Catechism, is above all a quest. The mind seeks to understand the why and how of Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. The required attentiveness is difficult to sustain. We are usually helped by books and Christians do not want for them. The sacred scripture, particularly the gospels, holy icons, liturgical texts of the day or season, writings of spiritual fathers, works of spirituality, the great books of creation, the great book of creation, the great book of creation, to meditate on the things that God has made, the beauty and the wonder of of God's creation, and that of history, the page on which the today of God is written. The Catechism goes on, 2706, to meditate on what we read helps us to make it our own by confronting it with ourselves. Hence, another book is opened, the book of life, we pass from thoughts to reality. To the extent that we are humble and faithful, we discover in meditation the movements that stir the heart, and we are able to discern them. It is a question of acting truthfully in order to come into the light. Lord, what do you want me to do? So in meditation, we, we use the, the aid of books, particularly we're going to use the scriptures and the gospel. And, and I'm you know suggesting here, one of the best you can start, if you don't know where to start, maybe go to Matthew 5 and look at the Beatitudes. And really, don't just read through them quickly. Stop and consider what they mean. And then as we consider what they mean, we began to, um, as they said, the the next book we use is our life. We, we measure our life against what we're reading there. How does my life measure, measure up to this beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is this poverty in spirit? It's this humility of God that recognizes that I am nothing and have nothing good without God. That God is good and everything that is good comes from God. And if I have any good in me or I do any good, it comes from God and I thank him for it. And recognizing that I'm a sinner in need of his help. I'm poverty stricken. I'm naked. I'm, I'm bereft. If it weren't for baptism and, and the sacrament of confession, my soul would be dead in sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And is that just a mourning over um, the sadness of the things of this earth? Or is it a mourning over the fact that 
God is not loved as he should be loved. God is not served as he should be served. God is not honored as he should be honored. I know Terry and Jesse were talking in their show about this reparation rally that they're going to have near Dodger Stadium in parking lot in one of the parking lots near Dodger Stadium next weekend um, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, one day from one week from today, one week from today, June 16th. And it's reparation. We're out there. It's not out there. We're not out there to make a political statement. It's they're not going out there to um, you know, condemn anyone. They're going out there to say, this, this, what the Dodgers are doing that night, the people they're honoring are are being, they're degrading humanity and they are committing blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ and his and our holy mother, the church. And they're also degrading family life by their actions. Their public actions are a degradation. And so we make reparation to God and we pray for the conversion of all of us sinners. We're all sinners. We all need conversion. So do we mourn? Do we mourn over those evils? And by the way, for those who can't go physically to be there, um, you can, everyone can go to their church, their local parish, go to mass for the next, every day for the next, you know, next week and beg God for the grace to convert people, to bring people back to their senses. We've lost who we are as human beings, as children of God, made in God's image as persons to be loved. We don't know anymore. We don't understand our dignity, our worth before God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, that's interesting because, you know, in our world, it's about power, isn't it? You know, we need to be powerful. We want to, we want to have, we want to have the upper hand. We want to, no, we want to be meek. We want to be meek because we want the Lord Jesus to be in charge. We want his kingdom to come. And Jesus did not establish his kingdom through power and violence. He established his kingdom by laying down his life, by allowing himself to be crucified and tortured. So again, meditate on this. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do we hunger and thirst for the goodness of God, for, the, for, for God's holiness to be honored and exonerated in this world? Blessed are the merciful. And it goes on. So you, you want to, and then this, the whole Sermon on the Mount, you know, the next part of it, the salt of the earth and, and light of the world. Um, the fulfillment of the law, the prophets that Jesus had come um, to, not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them concerning anger. You have heard it said up to men of old, you shall not kill for whoever kills shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, everyone who grows angry with his brother shall be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council and whoever says you fool shall be liable to hell, the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Wow, Jesus, and, and remember, the emotion of anger is not a sin and it doesn't offend God. The emotion of anger was made by God. We have 11 emotions and God made them all. Love, hate, joy, sorrow, desire, aversion, audacity, fear, hope, despair, and anger. And there's a holy expression of each one of those. And there's an unholy expression of each one of those 11 emotions. But 
the, the emotion of anger was given to us by God to move the just man to correct injustice. So if we see injustice, the fathers of the church said, if you can look on injustice and not feel anger, something's wrong with you. You've lost a part of your humanity. We're not angels. The angels don't have bodies. They don't have emotions. Man does. And so anger in and of itself is an emotion that moves us to correct injustice. Now, generally speaking, when we when somebody hurts us and we get angry, oftentimes it's because our pride is hurt. But if someone commits a grave sin against us and we feel anger, that anger is justified. But at the same time, we need to stop and say, Lord, I want to feel the anger and acknowledge the injustice, but I don't want to consent to the sin of anger. I'm not going to shut my emotion down. I'm going to feel the anger, but I'm not going to take it out. I'm not going to respond in anger to this person who has just um, raped me or killed someone in my family or beat me up or even emotionally beat me up. Someone who's emotionally abusing me, um, physically abusing me then yeah, that's a grave injustice and it should be stopped. And we don't have to just put up with it. You, you can say, you don't have a right to do that. I can't let you do that to me, but I don't consent to the sin of anger and I don't consent to the sin of hatred. I will pray for you that you change, but I don't have to let you abuse me anymore. I can protect myself from your abuse. And we need to take the steps to properly do that. But we want to make sure that we tell the Lord in prayer we don't want to give in to the sin of anger. And there, there's the story from uh, Dead Men Walking, the sister who she was a, a, a sister who was ministering to men on death row. And she tells the story of this man on death row. And um, it, there was a man whose son was killed. And the man whose son was killed actually used to go to the prison to do prison ministry. And after his son was killed, he tried going back and he did once, I think. And then he was like, I can't face these prisoners. I, it, it brings up too much emotion. There's too much hurt. There's too much anger there. But when he heard that his son was killed, he immediately made an act of the will to forgive the man who killed his son. Lord, I want to forgive him. But he told the priest he had been working with, I'm going to take a leave. I'm not going to go to the prison for a while. I'm going to take some time off. I need some time, some space for my emotions to heal. Well, father waited a couple of years and he called the man one day and he said, you know, I really could use your help at, at in, in ministering to the prisoners. So the man said, I think I'm ready. I think I can go back. So they went back to the, he went back to the prison with the priest and they were talking to a man on death row. And the man described how he had killed someone. And that was why he was on death row. The person he had killed that put him on death row. And the layman looked at him and said, well, the, the prisoner, first the prisoner said, I only wish that I could know before I die that his father forgives me. And the layman looked at him and said, I'm sure his father forgives you. And the prisoner was really upset. He's just like, you pious people, you come in here and you think you're so pious and you don't know what it is to suffer and you don't know what we've been through in life. And that's so easy for you to say. And the, the layman looked at him and said, no, actually, it's not that easy for me to say. And he looked the prisoner in the eye and he said, you killed my son and I forgive you. Wow. Wow. Now the prisoner knew that he really could accept the mercy of God 
the father of the man he had killed, just forgave him. And it brought peace and closure to both of them. And there's a flip side of that. When we don't forgive, when we don't make an act of the will to forgive, there was another family where um, a girl had been brutally molested and murdered by her boyfriend. And uh, the family helped the police catch the boyfriend. They got permission to be at the trial. They got to be permission to be at his sentencing. They got permission to be at his execution. But they never made an act of the will to forgive the injury. They allowed themselves to harbor hatred. Well, after the execution of the boy who had killed their daughter, something very interesting happened. The hatred that they felt inside was still there. Only the initial object of the hatred was gone. The boy who had killed their daughter. So now the hatred turned in on the family and it tore the family apart. So I will be back with more on changing this subject of our meditation and how do we do that so that we can have our thoughts pleasing to God and we can live in union with God. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio Bible with the Barbers. Please share this with your family and friends. Thank you for those who support us. Um, and thank you to all of those who volunteer and help us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 9th, um, 2023. You can share this program with all your friends and family. I want to thank all the radio stations who pick us up. And I want to thank um, all of those of you who have shared the app with your friends and family, and please continue to do so. We're also on Twitter. We're on Rumble. We're on Facebook. Um, you can go ahead and check those all out. And we're on virginmostpowerful.org. We have our own website. So please let everybody know that they can listen to these shows. They're all podcasts. So if you can't hear it at the time we broadcast, you can still hear it. I'm broadcasting from home today, and our video camera on our computer went out, so you can't see me, but you can hear me. And I'm happy to be with you and sharing the scriptures with you. So we're talking about changing the subject of our meditation. Meditation is a form of prayer and prayer is that conversation, loving conversation with God. And um, the church teaches us about meditation and the saints, the great saints have, have uh, provided us with examples and how we are to do this. And it's interesting because in number 2708 of the catechism, it says meditation engages thought, imagination, emotion, and desire. This mobilization of faculties is necessary in order to deepen our convictions of faith, prompt the conversation of our heart, and strengthen our will to follow Christ. Christian prayer tries, above all, to meditate on the mysteries of Christ, as in Lexio Divino. Lexio Divino is spiritual reading reading the Holy Scripture, reading the writings of the saints, reading the teachings of the church, or the rosary. And the rosary is, of course, that meditative prayer. We've, we've talked about that before in our show here on Bible with the Barbers. It's a scriptural prayer where we meditate on the life of Christ, on everything that God did, um, his whole plan of salvation and how he carried that out. This form of prayerful reflection is of great value but Christian prayer should go further 
to the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus, to union with him. So we're talking about that whole reality and how do you achieve that? What, what are the sources? And we talked about using the, the gospel, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. You can use any, there's much of the, any, any of the scripture you can use, Old and New Testament, to be a form of meditation. And again, as we meditate, as we think about the word of God, we ask God, what is he asking of us? And we ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us so that our prayer will be humble, will be honest, and will be pure. And I want to give you some examples from the Old Testament of prayer that is prayer from the heart. And this week in um, our Catholic liturgy, we're reading from the book of Tobit. And Tobit was a man from Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, who went into exile. He was in Nineveh. He'd suffered a lot for the Lord. And eventually what happened is he slept outside one night and the bird droppings got into his eyes and he got cataracts and he went blind. So um, he, his wife had to go out and take in uh, laundry and sewing and mending, whatever, to try and make a living for them. And uh, Tobit, at one, at one point, Tobit, um, his wife gets paid, a, she got paid a bonus. Someone gave her a goat. And the goat, when she brought the goat in the house, the goat started to bleed. And essentially, Tobit accused her of stealing the goat and told her to return it to its owner. And she was just, she said, oh, you and all your good deeds, why don't you just curse God and die? And it's like, oh my gosh. So Tobit is, he's bereft. He's beside himself. But what does he say? Then in my grief, I wept and I prayed in anguish saying, righteous art thou, O Lord, in all thy deeds and all thy ways are mercy and truth. And thou dost render true and righteous judgment forever remember me and look favorably upon me do not punish me for my sins and for my unwitting offenses and those which my fathers committed before for they disobeyed thy commandments and thou gavest us over to plunder captivity and death thou madest us a byword a reproach in all the nations among which we have been dispersed. And now thy many judgments are true in exacting penalty from me for my sins and those of my father, because we did not keep thy commandments, for we did not walk in truth before thee. And now deal with me according to thy pleasure. And so he humbles himself before the Lord. He acknowledges his sin and he, he's not saying, Lord, look, I've been doing all these good works for you. I've, I've kept the law. I've, I haven't, you know, done all these other things that other people have done. Why are you, why are you beating me up? Why are you treating me so bad? He says, everything that all your judgments are true. Everything that you have let happen to us, we had it coming. We sinned. We didn't obey your law. In other words, he identifies with the sin of the nation as if it's his own. He doesn't exclude himself. And there's another example of this in the Catholic Bible. It's in Daniel 3. And it's the prayer of Azariah in the furnace. And um, blessed art thou, O Lord, the God of our fathers, and worthy of praise, and thy name is glorified forever. For thou art just in all that thou hast done to us, and all thy works are true, and thy ways are right. 
and all thy judgments are true. Thou hast executed true judgment in all that thou hast brought upon us and upon Jerusalem, the holy city of our fathers. For in truth and justice, thou hast brought all this upon us because of our sins. For we have sinfully and lawlessly departed from thee and have sinned in all things and have not obeyed thy commandments. We have not observed them or done them. And thou hast commanded us that it might go. Thou hast commanded us that it might go well with us as, excuse me, as thou hast commanded us, as thou hast commanded us that it might go well with us. So all that thou art hast brought upon us and all that thou hast done to us, thou hast done in true judgment. You have given us unto the hands of lawless enemies, most hateful rebels, and to an unjust king, the most wicked of all the world. But then they go on to plead for mercy. And the point of it is they're not exonerating themselves. Now this, in the book of Daniel, the three men in the furnace are Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They were companions with Daniel. They had been, they are from Judah. They're not from Israel. They're from the Southern kingdom. This is after the Southern kingdom. Judah is carried off into exile and they were nobles. So they were made, um, they were working in the, in the King's palace, but they hadn't eaten from the King's table and they had eaten only vegetables and drank water. They hadn't drunk wine and they hadn't eaten from the King's table. They didn't eat the meat. They didn't give up their observance of God's law. These men had kept God's law, but they don't um, put themselves above the nation and above the punishment that the nation received. They acknowledge, you know, when people are sinning, we're all going to suffer. All of us are going to suffer. So we want to meditate on the goodness of God and on his mercy and on his truth and his, his righteousness and, and the fact that he wants to have mercy on us all, but he will punish our sins. And if those sins are on a national level, for instance, in both Israel before it was carried off to captivity and in Judah before it was carried off to captivity, it, the sins came down from the top. The kings led their people in idolatry. They led their people away from God. And so God punished the whole nation. And these men acknowledge that was right. God is true in all of his judgments and everything that he's allowed to happen to us. We had it coming and they they're sinners too, just like everyone else. Now, maybe they weren't the worst sinners. It's like Jesus in the gospel when the, the apostles say, you know, about the, the people who the, the tower fell on. And, and um, he says, do you think they were the worst sinners? <laughs> no, they weren't the worst sinners. But if you don't change your ways and repent, the same thing's going to happen to you. God will not be mocked. We have to give up our sins. And even when people hurt us, even when, and this is it's one of the biggest problems is when people do hurt us, and especially when family members betray us, it's very difficult to forgive. And especially if they continue to do that. Now, we don't have to allow ourselves to be continued to be abused. You know, and that we know that goes on in families. We know there have been a lot of, you know, and you don't have to put up with that. You need to, to do what you can to protect yourself. And if you're a, a wife or a husband, either way, spousal abuse can go back and it can go either way, come from either person. 
You need to try and protect yourself and your children from that and, and get out of the situation. But without hatred, without anger, without the, the sin of anger, the emotion of anger, yeah. And it will take time for your emotions to heal. But the first step is to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't consent to the sin of anger. I don't consent to the sin of hatred. But Lord, I'm going to meditate on you, on your goodness, your beauty, your truth, your wisdom, your glory, because these, these are the things that are going to help. And we beg God to deliver us, to deliver us from the punishments that we deserve from our sins. You know, in God, mercy and justice are the same attribute. They're not different. They're different in man. They're not different in God. They're one and the same. So his justice is merciful and his mercy is just. There will be justice. You know, if we're filled with anger, if we're filled with hatred and resentment, if we're filled with fear, we need to turn to the Lord and beg him for the grace to give everything up to him, our whole past, our whole life. He wants our life. He knows everything that's happened to us and nothing can happen that he doesn't allow. And whatever he allows to happen to us, he wants to bring a greater good. And he has a weight of glory, an eternal weight of glory waiting for us for any suffering that we endure. Any suffering that we endure, if we unite that suffering to Jesus Christ, we will have glory in heaven. Not because we earned it, but because God in his mercy is merciful and he grants us this. Well, I'm coming up against another break. Again, I want to thank our listeners, our benefactors, those who offer their prayers. I want to remind you to please pray for this prayer rally that's going to happen at Dodger Stadium on June. And don't go away. We'll be right back with more on Bible with Barbie. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I'm Terry's not with me here today. We're um, uh, on the radio. <laughs> he's here with me. We're actually doing this from home and he's watching the grandchildren. So we're a little busy and that's wonderful. We love it. We love our grandchildren and they always remind us of the little Jesus. That's a beautiful, we get to take care of little Jesus. So we're talking about changing the subject of our meditation, that internal dialogue of the heart that goes on. And we have this arduous task of focusing ourselves on the goodness of God and his beauty and goodness and truth. We're called to imitate the angels. You know, it's interesting. The angels who chose God are in heaven with God. And in heaven, they continuously sing his praises. And even when they're here on earth at our side as guardian angels helping us, they never leave the presence of God and they never stop singing his praises. Now, they don't have bodies, so it's not as hard for them to do this, but they constantly sing his praises. Remember the the um, the prophet in the Old Testament, and he sees the, the throne room of God and the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, all the earth is full of your glory. And again, in um, the revelation of St. John, the revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible, uh, chapter four, we have that again, holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. And so they praise the Lord God continuously. They're singing this night and day. 
So even when all this evil is going on in the world, they're not looking at the evil in the world. They're not looking at the evil people and saying, Lord, I mean, you must you must not really be good, God, because look at all that bad stuff going on down there. No, they're constantly praising God and giving him glory and glorifying his holy name. And this is what in the Our Father, when Jesus gave us the Our Father, what's the first thing we say? Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we are praying that God's name be glorified, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. So we want to make sure that we take the inner dialogue that's going on in us and discipline our minds and our hearts to focus on God and his goodness. A big help to that is the Psalms. And if you go uh, towards, you know, after Psalm 95, we have all these Psalms of the praises of God, you know, Psalm 96, Psalm 97, Psalm 98, Psalm 99, um, you know, the land, all lands summoned to praise God, Psalm 100, a sovereign pledge of integrity and justice, Psalm 101, prayer to the eternal king for help, Psalm 102, 103, thanksgiving to God for his goodness, um, God, the creator and provider. And it goes on all these Psalms of just beautiful praise of God. And then you have Psalm 118 and Psalm um, 136 are called the, the great Hallel and the little Hallel. Psalm 118 is a song of victory. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. And it goes on and then it calls about, you know, talks about being in distress and yet God delivers us. And then Psalm 136 is that, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Meditate on these because it changes our attitude. Oftentimes the problem in our relationship with God is our attitude. We got to cut the pity party. We have to cease the inner dialogue and replace that inner dialogue with a change of meditation. We need to start meditating on the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the truth of God, his goodness, his truth. And in the New Testament, we have these beautiful hymns in um it, you know, throughout, especially throughout the letters of Paul, you have these beautiful hymns that the Christians sang, and there are some in the book of Revelation also, but also in um, the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke, the Magnificat of Our Lady. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. We can all say that. Do we realize the privilege and honor it is to know God? to know that he loves us and he made us to be in union with him and that Jesus is in the blessed sacrament and he comes to us in Holy Communion. And after Holy Communion, we can say those words of Our Lady, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit exalts in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant, for he who is mighty has done great things to me and holy is his name. And he has mercy in every generation on those who fear him. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has routed the proud of heart. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He comes to the help of his servant Israel, ever mindful of his mercy, of the mercy he promised to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And we, God is so good. He's there. He's always with us. He wants us to acknowledge how much we need him. And the more we acknowledge how much he need, we need him, the more he is drawn to us. The, the hymn of Zechariah before Our Lady's Canticle in Luke 2, is it Luke 1 or 2? 
we have, I think it's Luke 1, actually. We have uh, the hymn of Zechariah when John the Baptist is born. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. Yeah, it's in Luke 1 because it's the visitation and the birth of John the Baptist. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty savior, born of the house of his servant, David, for he, through his holy prophets, he promised of all that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. And most of all, that's from the enemy who hates us and wants us to take us to hell for all eternity. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father, Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins in the tender compassion of our God. The dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. I actually got the order wrong there. Mary's Magnificat is before Zachariah's hymn of, of praise of God. Mary sings her Magnificat when she arrives at Zachariah's house and greets Elizabeth. And Elizabeth acknowledges that she is the mother of God. And then Zachariah, after John is born, and that's about three months later after Mary arrived, about three months later, John is born because it was in the sixth month that the angel Gabriel told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant and Mary makes in haste to the hill country. So she arrives in about the sixth month. So at the ninth month, when John is born, then his father, Zacharias, in the first words, remember he was struck deaf, dumb, excuse me, dumb. He couldn't speak because he didn't believe God's promise that he would have a son. And then when the son is born and he, and he writes on the tablet, his name is John. His mouth is open. And the first thing he says is this beautiful Benedictus. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. We should praise God. We should use these hymns of praise. And there are others throughout the Gospels um, and throughout the, the New Testament. We have, you know, you have two, two different instances. We have Luke's version of the Beatitudes. You have Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. Very possible that in three years, Jesus taught the Beatitudes on more than one occasion. And depending on his audience or depending on the circumstances, included some or others and and again you know that there was a three-year cycle of, of jesus's work and then you have these beautiful hymns and the letters of saint paul which um theologians today are say they, they were probably hymns that the christians sang in their worship and, and that would make sense remember the christians were initially most of them were jewish and the jews prayed the psalms and so they learned how to sing the praises of God by praying the Psalms. Mary and Joseph, Jesus, Mary and Joseph used the Psalms as their prayer book. But in addition to that, and Paul says, he says, address one another in hymns and Psalms and inspired songs. So in, he, he uses those inspired songs in his own writings so that people will know them and be able to address one another in this, right? Um, it, one of them is in Ephesians, right? Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us and his beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. So we have these beautiful hymns and we can meditate on these hymns and what they mean and what does that mean to us and what is God saying to us about how we should be living our life according to what he's saying in these hymns. We have the one in, in uh, Philippians. I read you that first one I read there was from Ephesians. Now there's Philippians too. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. He being found in human form, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, that at Jesus' name, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So use these hymns, use the scriptures, and also use the writings of the saints. You have, we have many writings of the saints available to us. And learn to praise God from our hearts, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of hurts and betrayal. Jesus suffered betrayal. He suffered denial. He suffered um, being abandoned. And yet he never gave up love. Make holy hours before Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. Receive Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament as often as possible. Meditate on the mysteries of the rosary. Take your scriptures out when you pray the rosary and read the mysteries so that you can really let the mystery sink into your soul and penetrate into your whole being and change you. We are called to become living images of Christ. And we do this by looking at him. And that's how God makes us like him. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on June 9th, 2023. Please share this program with all your friends and family and continue to support us with your prayers and your sacrifices and your financial donations. And those of you who can join the June 16th March at, at rally at uh, Dodger Stadium, do so, but pray, pray. Pray continuously for all the works we're doing. 